And this is another installment of Killinois with Bird and Cam. This is Bird and always with me. Cam, Cam, how are we doing, my dear? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying the storm we have outside right now in St. Louis. So. Oh boy, yeah, we got some rain down in these neck of the woods too, in the in the in the uh, in the three one two. Um, yeah, three one four's got it down here. Well, fuck the 314. Like I said, it's all about Chicago. How? And that's the always yeah. thing. Like, it, it's funny because we have done probably almost 50 episodes, and I don't think we ever did one where both of us was in Illinois. Like, I did some when I was in. <laughs> She's thinking. I'm trying to think. Like, now I'm trying to think. Like, wait a minute. Now that you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, because oh so I've done a few in St. Coming to your coming to your uh yeah, 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 backyard, yeah. and even when I was in okay, there's some Springfield in Chicago, but it, yeah. So um, I was truly yeah, Illinois. Probably, go to your neck of woods in Chicago. Uh, I'm just saying we it's well well we got something called a stay at home order after five o'clock. So like me, you know, Mayor Lightfoot ain't letting that shit happen. Oh my god, my mom sent me a sticker of her saying, get your ass inside. <laughs> I love I love the memes. I love her. She cracks me oh, up. Oh boy, yeah. So, uh, we are, and welcome guys to another uh, lockdown edition of Killinois with Bird and Cam. Um, this week, uh, we're going to be talking about Robert Yummy Sanford. It was 11, this was an 11-year-old, Cam, an 11-year-old. 11. Who sparked a fucking manhunt by not only the Chicago Police Department, but the Federal Bureau of Investigation. A fucking 11-year-old. First off, Al Capone, when he was 11, didn't even have a manhunt for him. Well, I, mean, I, think, I, don't think I, I could be wrong. I, I should check that internet source, but I'm can... just going to go with it. I'm just going to say it. People don't believe me, but if it's true, like, think about it. <laughs> So, and obviously for this one, we're going to go way back into the Google machine or 1994. And if you guys have been, hopefully you guys have been binging or you guys listening as it is right now. In the last episode, we talked extensively about the year 1994 um, as we covered Eric Morse, the five-year-old who was thrown off a Southside High Riser. Um, we had um, special guests. Who uh, cover, you know, who you know, offered their perspectives, you know, on that. And again, like this, like that case, um, Robert Yummy Sandifer, the during this manhunt, obviously got national headlines, and it further cemented the city of Chicago as this hotbed of inner city crime that had been refined over and over throughout the decades. Again, as we discussed in 1994, there were 930 murders. And in this episode, we talk about not one, but two murders that happened, which again, we're talking about the national intention, but it's also similar in the sense of depravity when we talk about the background and when we talk about the crimes itself and in the aftermath. But beforehand, Cam, can you hit the good folks with that disclaimer? Absolutely, guys. So, um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, and also, too, we hope everyone's staying safe during these times right now. Oh, yeah. Um, we just want to remind everyone that we're here to just do our job, and that's to report um, and to tell a story. If there's anything in 
any for any reason that seems wrong, out of nature, or offensive, just hit us up at Illinois with Burning Cam on Facebook. Um, again, we're just here to do our job. We get information from various news sources, um, news articles, police reports, things of that nature. So do not take anything we say um, verbatim, but um, it is how we feel in our opinion. And mm-hmm. I am really so I'm going to stop that, and we're going to do this shit. All right. We're ready to do the goddamn thing. So I'm ready to do the damn thing. Robert Sandiford was born on March 2nd, 1983 in Chicago, Illinois, to a teenage drug-addicted mother and a father who was eventually sent away to prison. So as a baby and a toddler, Robert was an abuse victim. According to a report by the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services, there were several instances where he was found whipped with an electrical cord, and additionally, he was found with multiple bruises and cord marks on his body, alongside with cigarette burns on his neck, shoulder blade, and buttocks. And due to these findings by social services, he and his three siblings were taken from their mother in 1986, and for the next seven years, lived with their grandmother, Janie Fields, in the Roseland neighborhood located on the city's southwest side. Now, when questioned, the mother, Lorna Sandiford, who was arrested a dozen times by that period for drug and prostitution-related charges, originally blamed the father for all of these injuries, but eventually admitted her role in the abuse. So, kind of, let's unpack this for a second, Cam. We talked about the dynamics of a dysfunctional, abusive family life, uh, in the last episode on Eric Morse and more specifically, uh, the perpetrators of that, uh, murder. And while we saw a little sample size of sorts with that, with at least one of the murderers, here is an extreme, extreme case of abuse and dysfunction that we're seeing here. And again, we're talking three years old and we have fucking electrical cord marks. You've got cigarette burns. Where do we even fucking start? So this case reminds me a lot about the most recent documentary about um, Gay Girl Fernandez. Mm. Uh, Terribly sad documentary. And it's an ongoing case about pretty much the family's abusive to him. And there's open evidence that they're abusing him. And the issue is social services seems to do nothing about it. Um, the difference is here, social services is 1994 and completely different than in the early 2000s. So, um, you know, the most common thing to do would be to give your these kids to their grandparents. So you would expect that things would improve um, living with his grandmother. But unfortunately, this was not the case. His grandmother actually had other grandchildren who stayed at that residence. And they were up to nearly 20. 20, which means grandma is raising all the grandbabies because her kids are just doing whatever. Mm-hmm. And like the case with his mother and the amount of children there, there's a lot of neglect. And when you don't find the attention that is needed, especially at a young age, and even more so given the environment, you turn to the only thing you know, the streets, which is exactly what Sandifer did. He was illiterate uh, via the fact that he dropped out of school at the age of eight. Eight, guys. Eight. Jesus Not even in double Christ. digits. Eight. Desperate. Yeah, we're, we're, what is that, third grade? That's third grade. 
third grade. We're still trick or treating, guys, in third grade with our parents. So like, well, I knew I knew this kid who was uh he was in first grade, and he was eight because he failed a couple times, obviously. But but yeah, usually you know usually when you're when you're eight, you're in third grade. But, but you're yeah. still in elementary school. Exactly. Though. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, you're still a baby, and so he dropped out of school at the age of eight. And he was desperate for some sort of validation. So Sandifer found it as a shorty, the lowest ranking member of the eight ball faction of the Black Disciples, which is one of the Southside's largest gangs. In fact, he had BDN3, um, which stood for Black Disciples uh, Nation tattooed on his right forearm. Uh, did he have this at... Eight years old? Did he get a tattoo at eight years old? Um. Well, again, you were talking about because he lived to be, and that's the thing. As we get old, as we get into the story, guys, like he lived to be only a fucking eleven years old. Yeah. So I mean, even let's just say, for argument's sake, he got it what eleven, ten or eleven. But I mean, that's way too early. No. Still, still, ugh, so sad. Um, but like you're saying, before long, Sandifer, better known as Yummy. Due to his love for sweets, a gained a reputation for being the neighborhood bully. He was extorting kids out of their money and picking fights whenever he could. And like you're stating, by the time he was 11, he was arrested nearly 30 times. 23 of those times were being felonies. Among the slew of felonies, this included auto theft, arson, armed robbery, and a slew of other crimes. With the Grand Theft Auto, Yummy was fascinated with luxury cars. And after hot wiring and stealing them, he was able to drive them despite his small frame of about four feet, six inches. Because again, guys, he's only 11. And just like it, or and like it was Jesse Rankins and Takeese Johnson, the murderers of Eric Morris, who later found themselves in the long arms of the law time and time again in their young age. The penal system had no way to keep Sandifer out of trouble. And the courts were literally helpless to lock him away because, again, he was too young. And he was too young for juvenile detention. And he was too dangerous to be placed with children his age. So it was a lose-losing battle with this. And because of all of this, he never got in serious trouble for any of his crime due to his age. That's just just fucking wild. Yeah, he had no discipline, he had no chance, and around seven, eight, nine are really growing ages for kids, and I feel like those are the times that they're really learning, Mm -hmm. learning to, like, socialize and, like, communicate correctly with other people, and Mm -hmm. this kid knows how to get a tattoo and knows how to hotwire a car, but he can't read it's a yeah i mean that's just a uh just a cruel aspect of, of how to look at things you know that, that really I, brings I shit to perspective what is even his mindset like at 11 years old i'm pretty sure i was playing with dolls still like i can't remember what i was at 11 years old the last thing i'd be thinking about is Living on the streets, stealing cars, hot wiring cars, mm-hmm. I mean, doing again, things of this nature. Right, and I mean, you know, when I was eleven, 
And, you know, I was, you know, I was out running the streets, but again, I was just like any other kid, you know, my age. Yeah. We would, you know, we'd have we'd be little rascals, do our little shenanigans, but again, it's nothing ever to that extreme. But then that said, we have to consider the environment. And again, this is the 90s. We are dealing with, we're dealing with Chicago where you had, again, 930 murders. Again, wow. We talk about we've talked about on this show before, where or this podcast, if you will, where we we talk about the crime rate. We talk about how it's bad, you know, in this day and age. But the last couple of years or so, the murder rate in Chicago has been about you know five hundred, six hundred, thereabouts. It ranges. We're talking about nine hundred and thirty in nineteen ninety four. Which crazy enough, Cam, the year that we were born, it was nine hundred and seventy-four. So the fact that the crime rate in nineteen ninety-four went down, it they was going knew down. Like they were like, oh, oh shit, burning camera alive. We need a we need a slower roll. Right. I mean, this is just the that's the that's just the nature of the beast of what it was in those day in that day and age. And I know there's an ongoing argument about. Or kids based off of nature, nurture. I don't know. It's it's very controversial and it's very mixed. But one thing I do know, when a child is fucking born, they are a blank slate. You literally have to teach them everything, including compassion, including empathy, including knowing what's right from wrong. And the fact that he probably has no idea what's right or wrong. He's just trying to survive. Mm-hmm is just completely beyond it's completely beyond violence it's just survival and unlike majority of the people we know he never got that opportunity Mm. and that's what you need to grow as a person that's what separates us from fucking animals yeah and we're gonna get into um we're gonna get into this uh it was a psychologist there we go Oh, I better say that right. God damn it. But they did, he was examined um, in 1994, the summer of 1994. And this profile, I mean, fucking what I'm to say right now. So in 1993, Sandifer and his siblings were removed from his grandmother's home and were sent to the Lawrence Hall DCFS shelter on Chicago's north side, for which Sandifer ran away and never returned. But while he was there, he was examined by the in-house psychologist uh, and reported, and this psychologist reported this finding, Robert is a child growing up without any encouragement and support. He is lonely and feels poorly about himself. He has a sense of failure that has infiltrated almost every aspect of his inner self. He is caught up in a never-ending cycle of emotional overload, overload and acting out and his and they uh, finish with his anger is so great that his perception of the world is grossly distorted and inaccurate. For a t- and at this time, a ten-year-old, eleven-year-old, at this point, eleven-year-old, thirty-three, thirty arrests to his name. About ninety percent, almost ninety percent of them are felonies. So that's and what we're dealing with. This is this is what fascinates me. You know, just about the brain is. Here's a prime example of some of a child who didn't get encouragement, didn't get support, 
um, never got told he could be something. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens from it. Yeah. And it's just, it, it makes me wonder, you know, again, another controversial topic is, is addiction a disease? Mm-hmm. And to me, it's, it's more than just the addiction behind the addiction is the depression. The anger is what people have to, what you have to find past the addiction, you know? Right. Um, so what else is going on? If let's say he survived a beer age, would he be an addict? Would he, what would he be addicted to, to avoid mm-hmm. what he didn't get coming up? I mean, cause again, and, it's the, it's just the pat, like the fact that he is in the game. And especially in a time like that, you have nearly two options at the end of it. You're either going to be in jail or you're going to be dead. And again, it's just one of those things. And they're like not getting ahead of ourselves. It's just you and it's and somebody who has never heard of this story before. You kind of have a idea, an idea of how this is going to end. Yeah. So, um, in, in 2019, Deborah Dean, a resident of Roseland, was interviewed by the Chicago Tribune. When Robert first moved here, he was like a little terror to the community, always stealing bikes and stuff like that, Dean stated. But I did see some good in him. Some children act like that because they're not getting enough attention. But she added, even when I took him to church, he would get into a fight. And my mom would take him to the back and talk to him and stuff like that, give him some sweets. Again, um, uh, as Cam talked about, his uh, nickname, Yummy, which was derived from his love of sweets. So, I mean, there is, you know, that child, he's 11 years old. So, So he's now associating every time he does something bad, he gets sweets. And that's not... See, I didn't think of it like that. That's, that's, one, like that's one way of putting it. It's like, a, uh, it's like a good job. You did a good job. Keep doing it because candy's good, you know? It's mm-hmm. not like a bar of soap. Right. Um. So Yummy Santa feels at this time as being treated as a complacent in this gang. And he's eager to show his worth and move up in the ranks. And to do that, one must perform initiation. And as such, Yummy was given an order to shoot suspected rivals. On August 28, 1994, police responded to a shooting in the Roseland area and found a 16-year-old boy bleeding and uh, withering in pain near 108th Street in Perry Avenue. An officer leaned down and asked, who shot you? Again, this kid's only 16. Mm-hmm. According to the police records uh, attributed by the Chicago Tribune, uh, the teen replied, yummy shot me, and added, I think his name is Robert. So the detective goes about finding yummy. And while he was in the process of locating the suspect's mugshot, forget about another shooting less than a block away. So 14-year-old Siobhan Dean, the daughter of the woman who had earlier described taking yummy Santa for the church on occasion and saying there was some good in him, was among friends and family at a neighborhood barbecue. Siobhan had recently graduated Van Vilsing Elementary School and was about to start her freshman year at Corliss High School. As the barbecue was winding down, the first shots where the 16-year-old was injured rang out. Deborah Dean immediately told her children to get inside. Siobhan, however, left the house to walk a friend home. 
Next thing you know, shots rang out again. The friend was seriously wounded, and Trevon Dean was shot in the head, dying instantly. As Chicago Tribune went on saying, Deborah Dean had infrequent memories of the following moments, recalling seeing her daughter's legs picking out from other a white blanket, and she remembers her brother trying to keep her back from the crime scene tape so she wouldn't see her daughter's catastrophic head wound. In quote. So, that's just... That, that's, yeah... And by dawn, there's an extensive manhunt to the extent that the FBI joined in with the Chicago Police Department. And it's there that, they fa- uh, that they're faced with the surreal task of capturing an 11-year-old child who's looking even younger than that. So as one can imagine, this is national news. Time magazine, back in the days when people still read magazines, and newspapers all ran a mugshot of Sandifer. And it was the, on the front page of everything. An infamous, color that, or infamous cover that many people, when reminded of this story, will, will probably point out first. And the actions of Sandifer, coupled with the murder of Eric Morse a month later, will be the tipping point for the state of Illinois to enact legislation just drastically reforming how they treat felonies, uh, juvenile offender, blah, 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 offenders by lowering the age of facing adult court from 13 to 10. So, Sanifer managed to stave off capture for three days following the murder of Siobhan Dean and the shooting of two other teenagers. On August 31st, 1994, he arrived at the home of his neighbor, Cassandra Cooper, and she would later come out and say that she immediately recognized uh, Yummy and called him over. Now, they spoke briefly, and with Sanifer asking to speak to his grandmother before his police squad car came near, prompting Sanifer to escape. And once the car left, Cooper and Sanifer resumed their conversation, and she gave him his grandmother's phone number so she could pick him up. Now, at the same time, Cooper's daughter, Jamisa, will reveal that Derek Hardaway, a fellow BD gang member who was just 14 years old, appeared at the gangway next to the porch, Derek told Yummy that he and his 16-year-old older brother, Greg, Greg, another BD, was going to take him out of town and take him to a safe location. Sanford climbed over the porch and left with Derek. So unlike uh, Yummy Sanford, both Derek and Greg Hardaway came from a stable household with two hardworking parents, the mother being a teacher and the father a software engineer. So they both have very good backgrounds, and both were described by people that knew them as having a high upside. However, gang life, like many boys of their age, snatched them up. And now, unbeknownst to Yummy, Derek Hardaway was tapped to convince the adolescent fugitive to come alongside him for higher-ups in BD. Or in the BD, decided that once caught, Yummy was a liability and may be prone to reveal the inner workings of the gang. And that said, they ordered the two brothers to take a hit out on Yummy Sandifer. Just think about that for a second. So they let's, told let's... them, you know, initiation, go kill, you know, rival gang members. Uh-huh. And now we're you doing your caught. bidding, right? Now you, you pretty much got caught because you were too young. And now we're going to have to kill you for doing exactly what we asked you to do. You talk about Sorry, God. Better luck next time. You, you talk about... A cautionary tale 
about nothing personal, nothing personal except to shoot your head off. Right. Just just a talk a cautionary tale about these about gang life. And I mean where I get just try to process that shit. I just mind my mind's fucking blowing. It was him crossing the line the second shooting, the first shooting, like what what was I it? I don't think and that's the thing. I don't think the fact that had it not got the attention again, eleven an eleven year old manhunt. If no, it was they not, need to have age limits for the streets, right. man. It's one of those things again, because we talk about we've talked about it in episodes past about the crime rate and the clearance rate being so low. We have a rare uh, instance where because of that six, the first 16-year-old shooting victim who identified the shooter as Yummy and then they were able to process elimination, well, he was involved with this other shooting. So they know who they're looking for. Had they had no clue if this was unsolved like many other ones that had happened around those times and, and even now, He's not. He's not getting hit on. But the fact that it drawn, it got so much attention. He had a lengthy rap sheet, and you put two and two together. He's involved. This is a Rosa neighborhood. This is a heavily uh, BD area. You 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 put you put one and one together, right? They uh, think he's because he's only eleven years old. The police catch him. They're gonna want to know who ordered this. Who did you know? And it becomes this whole. Well, he's more. He's worth more dead than he is alive because he's eleven. Like, what can he do as an eleven-year-old? Like, does he even understand the rules of a gang? Like, don't snitch. Like, does he understand that? I think going the thing is, I don't forever? think they wanted to take a chance. And again, it's just the the cruel irony of. All of these factors, all these things in his life that, you know, from his family that tried to get attention. And the cruel irony is that the gang, the one thing that he came to trust ends up being his Achilles heel. Which is weird because his whole life he pretty much trusted nobody. Right. You know, that's why most people go to the streets, you know, for family, for mm-hmm. trust, protection. And so in a 2014 interview with WGN, Derek Hardaway revealed that the gang originally wanted just Greg to carry out the hit, but he relented. A lot of people don't know that Greg actually took me home, Derek said, and I can just feel something wasn't right. So when I asked him what's going on, he told me everything. I refused to let him go by himself. Instead of the safe location, he was taken underneath South Shore Railroad tracks on 108th East and South Dolphin Avenue, right near Cottage Grove Avenue. The brothers told Sandifer to get on his knees, and before you know it, Sandifer was shot twice in the back of his head. Damn. Within hours, police responded to a call of a dead body laying underneath the railway pass, where they found Sandifer lying in his own pool of blood. He was wearing a t-shirt with a cartoon character, the Tasmanian Devil, printed on it. Something a normal 11-year-old would be wearing. The violent, tragic life of Robert Yummy Sandifer would come to a bloody end. Not at the result of the FBI or the CPD, 
not by a rival gang retaliating, but by the one speaking of support that he tried desperately to impress and get attention from. And the aftermath of his death spawned mixed responses. On one hand, there were those in the Roseland neighborhood interviewed after who expressed no remorse for Sandiford, of Sandiford. Which is, again, he's 11 years old. How can he be a crooked son of a bitch? Um, one would say he's a crooked son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, a brochure told Time Magazine in 1994, always in trouble. He stood out there on the corner and strong-armed other kids. No one is sorry to see him gone. To, to the country in large, Sandifer is seen as a super predator, a poster boy of youth inner-city mayhem. To others, he's seen as an unfortunate victim of his environment. So, so two days after Sandifer was found dead, Tupac Shakur was performing at a concert in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, only an hour and a half away from Chicago. That's what anybody who's ever from Milwaukee would be the first to point out. Oh, only 90 minutes away. But anyway, before he takes the stage to perform his set, he reads in the paper about what happened concerning the case. And he opens the set with Bear Me a G. While rapping, Pac sees members of the Black Disciples in the audience. Enraged that their gang was responsible for Yummy's fate, Pac stops the show for a moment of silence, then yells to the BDs, you better stop killing these babies or else I'll murder you myself. So, I mean, you just kind of think about the the aura, the, the legacy of Yummy Sandifer. and children. It's like... You don't. You don't involve children. Mm-hmm. You don't involve children. Yeah. Fuck. So as for the Hardy Hardaway brothers, they eventually go to trial separately. At Craig's trial, police testified that during interrogation, Craig revealed who ordered the hit, and a search went on for the gang member or the higher up, and they found the uh, gang member or gang leader, if you will but fled to Minneapolis, losing their trail. Both Craig and Derek were convicted of Yummy's murder, sentenced, and were sent away. Derek was released on parole in 2016, and Craig is expected to be released in 2023. As for for Deborah Dean, she still can't come to terms with what happened with the death of her daughter, and can you fucking blame her? She stated to the Tribune, if Yummy was alive, I believe he would have told me what really happened. I have no closure. A dead child can't talk. 11 years old, what are you doing with a gun? In 2005, Dean had another daughter. She sometimes reminds Dean of her daughter. The daughter reminds Dean of Siobhan. And as of this writing, this this daughter is the same age as Siobhan was when she met her uh, untimely end. And Deborah Dean stated that she shelters her living daughter, fearful of losing her too. And it freaks me out as she she, um, ends it with, I don't want to think anything negative that something may happen to her. If something did, I don't know what I would do. So, again, this is just... It just shows an ongoing effect of, an ongoing cycle of, you know, again, people... You know, the teenage mom, She, I'm sure she did not have a good... Both the parents of fucking uh, Yummy were young and had no idea what right from wrong. And 
were addicted to drugs and doing things they shouldn't be at a young age. Now he's following their footsteps, and it's uh, it's just so sad. He never had a chance, and yes, he might have been a bad kid, but it's not like he was born a bad kid. It was he had no chance to be a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was just looking at, just for comparison, when we talk about, uh, as you hit the cycle of just inner-city violence and murder rate, we talked about at the beginning of this episode that we talked about 1994 and just the shit that happened that year, and we had 930 murders in that city. Now, for comparison... Last year, 2019, you had 490. And again, people still regard this city as like, you know, this is like the vag- the vagabond of all things. Oh, this is just the murder capital of America. This, that, and the third. So, you talk about, again, as bad as it is now, 20-something years, 25 years removed from when we were nearing a thousand murders a year that it 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 brings a lot of shit to perspective you know it it really does and like you said this was just it's just one of those things where just the system this is just an overall just sad thing it really is and it's and at this point you know this is a prime example of changing the way they handle cases like this. This should have been a reason why they changed, mm-hmm. you know, the I mean, system up, but they didn't. Right. You just have so many, you have so many, like, just areas to kind of focus on. Like, I'm, for example, the fact that he had all of these, and we're talking about fucking Grand Theft Auto. We're talking about arson and assault. And like, he, he just learned slips. to drive a car when you're 16, yet he knew how to hotwire. Right. And again, um, it doesn't take until this, uh, he, he shoot, he kills this girl and then he gets killed. And then you couple with the Eric Morse. It doesn't take that until you lower this, you know, you lower the age where juveniles can face adult, you know, can face trial as an adult from 13 to 10. But again, it just shows you just a microcosm of what happens when you're in this environment where, again, you have neglect and you have abuse and you have dysfunction. It's just, it just snowballs into this tragic clusterfuck. Exactly. And a lot in a lot of locations just want to keep sweeping it you know let's Mm -hmm. push it under a rug let's just put it all in one location and put it under a rug and we'll never think about it again it will be fine right and that's not how things work they have to be addressed and taken care of everyone deserves right to an education everyone deserves help Especially children. If you don't think mm-hmm. everyone deserves it, at least give it to fucking children. Right. Until they're 16 or whatever. Kids deserve all... All kids deserve the right to feel that they can have a future. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, I said earlier, it's just a cautionary tale of, you know, you're at such a young and impressionable age. Again, 11 years old, Robert Sanford was. 
and he's trying to he's trying to curry favor with this gang and it ended up losing it ended up costing his life and and here's the craziest part the people who took his life guess who snitched yeah those two people yeah that's the, that's the crime of it all they end up snitching on the gang so it's just it it i it's just this is all around just you know when when doing the research it was just really kind of hard to kind of like sift through because I mean it's just the totality of it all it's just all types of fucked up man it really exactly is. there's so many things that it's so unfortunate that an eleven year old literally lived the life of an adult mm-hmm. yet without truly comprehending. People- People are trying to say it's his fault at 11 years old for being the way he is, yet nobody decided to raise him. Nobody wanted to help raise him. Right. But so, I mean, at the end of the day, again, you know, we do have, it, there is a victim, you know, in all of this. Not only just, obviously, Yummy Samuel, but the, one that, the girl that he actually killed, alongside two other uh, shooting victims, you know, it's... Uh, it's just crazy the amount of people that get affected for for violence. It's mm-hmm. just it's so sad. It's so sad. It is. And yeah, that is the tragic story of Robert Sandifer. Robert Yummy Sandifer. Um Yeah, Cam. I mean what more did we that we've already expounded on like the last uh, forty or so minutes. But uh, This one really actually upsets me because you know, there's a you know a lot of killers. They, I don't know. He just never had a chance, and maybe it's because mm-hmm. um, I've had family members in the department of teaching BB kids from Chicago, right? And at that time, you know, they're high they're high school teachers. So at that time, it's it's the last chance. It's you know, if you don't decide to change now, you're going to jail thing, and it's sad seeing that he had literally no support. Yeah. And everyone blamed the, the child, the kid, over the, over trying to figure out why the kid's acting like this. Exactly. So, and maybe it's because it was 1994, but... Mm-hmm. But, I mean, even again, you still... There's still instances where you have, you know, kids in games. That's just the... That's the unfortunate, you know, part of just what we're living in in this day and age. Now, I don't, it's not pronounced, outwardly pronounced, as you one would probably expect, as it was in the eighties and the nineties. But you would be fucking naive to think, man, there ain't no ten-year-old, eleven-year-old's BD. That's a GD. That's a mode. Like, oh yeah, it it's a cycle. And again, and that's just the, again, what happens more often than not, you're either in jail or you're in a grave. And that's what we're dealing with in this, in this case. You know, and luckily there are some people that, you know, get out, you know, go through all those steps, get out. And they are big advocates for trying to change, you know, things, um, but for most, it's mostly jail or the grave. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, guys, thank you so much 
and for uh, giving a busy part with busy. You're in a fucking quarantine. What are you guys doing? But, um, well, but to be honest, being the jokes aside, whether you guys listening and you are essential workers or you're working from home or whatever the fuck, like, you're taking time for your schedule to listen to us means the fucking road. And, you know, thank you. Thank you. You know, we can't, we can't do this without you guys. So the support means so much to us. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. It really does mean a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, hoes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, man, uh, the fact that we're in this, like, pandemic right now, and I was like, man, should we really be continually doing a, a, a podcast on true crimes, like, as depressing as the subject matter is? And I was just like, man, why don't we just switch yeah. it up? Like, just, just do some off-the-wall beat shit. So, I mean, you know, hey. I can't wait. I can't wait to see the craziness that comes out after this. Oh, boy. You already know. It's like, assuming that we survive. We will survive. I'm just, yes, exactly. I'm but, oh, uh, I, I already have my plans. I'm tell you off off the uh, off the air because you know, we might be children listening to this. And if you are children listening to this, and you should be having a fucking adult supervising you. But, hit calls right out. Say, um... We will be back. We don't know when. We'll be back sooner more than later. That's for damn sure. Um, you can find Cam on social media. You can find her on Twitter. I like stuff 630. You can find her on the Grant with Insta. On Barbo Ho. Her words, not mine. Barbo Ho. <laughs> and you can find her on the Book of Face on Cam E. Wren. Okay, do I have to do all your new ones okay. now? Okay, so Birdman's trying to throw me off right now. Of course. So he's on Insta at the world according to Alex Camp. Now that's all one word, if you yep. guys can find. All one word, so don't forget that. He's also on the Book of Face under Alex Camp. Now don't be fooled, everybody, because his real name is not Alex Camp. It is actually Birdman. And are you still under Birdman for America? Damn straight. 2020 on the Twitter. You're my fucking running mate, of course. Okay, good. He's still under the Birdman for America, Mm -hmm. aka WordPress 2020. Sign him in, guys. (laughs) Oh boy, yeah. I'm telling you, we're gonna. We're a winning fucking ticket. Yeah, it's going down. (laughs) So, um, for Cam, this is Bird. Again, thank you guys so much for your support. We'll be back before you know it. This is Killinois with Bird and Cam. Be there or Or be killed, bitches. Boom.